All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to um, just do a couple of thoughts um, from uh, an interesting psalm, Psalm 13. I'm going to read it first in its entirety, um, and then we're going to kind of go through it piece by piece. And uh, hopefully you'll understand kind of the, the flow of this once you read it um, from verse 1 to verse 6, from beginning to end. It's really short, but it's an interesting psalm, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. Let's read it together. If you have your Bibles, you can re- listen. Um, if you don't, but we're in Psalm 13, verse 1. David writes this. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. If you read this psalm and if you read just the beginning, you would think, man, this guy's really sad. But by the end, and this is only six verses long, he starts to say things like, I will rejoice, I will sing, and God has dealt bountifully with me. He says things like that even after he began by saying, how long will you forget me? Where are you, essentially? Now, this is almost like it's a two-face or two different people speaking, but it's one person. And I think we can all kind of agree that there are times in your life where you feel one extreme and you feel another completely different extreme, sometimes really close together, or it's even possible to feel those two extremes at the same time. That's wild. How does that work? I've seen it work. I've seen it work in our home recently. Most of you guys know this, that we got a dog. Um, If you're in high school, you've met Liberty. She's cute. She's fun. She is a bundle of energy. But here is a time in, our, in my house where I have seen not just myself, but Morgan, who I think has just stepped out for a second, but I have seen the moments of extremes happen within seconds, milliseconds of each other. It can go something like this. Oh, Liberty, you're so cute. You are the most precious dog. No, don't do that. What are you doing? Oh, she's so adorable. Come here, good girl, good girl. Here's a treat. It's like this backwards, like, what is going on? So it's the moment of, don't do that. You're so great. Have a treat. It's almost the same way with David. It's like, how long will you forget me, O Lord? I, I can't take this anymore. How long will I have sorrow in my heart all the day? But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's crazy. How does this happen? I think this is such a human experience where you can move between two extremes in instance. And in the Christian life is moving between extremes. We'll get to that in a second. Let's see how this passage breaks down. I'm going to just reread the first couple of verses. Verses 1 and 2 are kind of separate, and then 3 and 4 are another part, and 5 and 6 are another part. So let's read 1 and 2 again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So so this begins with some tough realities, okay? And, And again, I love the Bible for this reason. The Bible does not sugarcoat life. Life is a challenge. Life is exhausting. You can get that from 
Verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long will I have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will this continue going on? I know that there are many times in your lives, maybe even very recently or maybe even today, you have felt those types of feelings in your heart where you have thought to yourself, how much longer do I have to keep going through this? How much longer do I need to keep picking myself back up and re-energizing myself to go again? I'm kind of tired. I'm really kind of downtrodden. I'm really exhausted from life. This is, this is a common human experience. And it comes in waves. There will be times where you could be riding high, life's going great, and then you just have a day, right? And it's at the pits. And then no matter how good things have been, no matter how long things have been pretty good, pretty, you know, undramatic, that one bad day can make you feel this way. How long do I have to endure this? How long will this last? Isn't it true? You, you can have a great day over and over and over, but one bad day and all of a sudden that's the moment where we just go into the how long will this last? Life is exhausting. The Bible's not trying to sugarcoat life. It is exhausting. It is tough. Here's something else that I find from this part of Psalm 13. There are times in life where sometimes God feels, and I put this in quotation marks, he feels far away. You see it in David here. He said, how long will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, I was, I was studying this um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's interesting. Some people think that David wrote this not when he was being chased by Saul, but he wrote it after his son was pursuing him, Absalom. And there's a key difference in the two moments in David's life. Some people think that it was after Absalom because that happens, that event, that difficulty in David's life comes after David had royally messed up. It comes after the Bathsheba incident in his life. So it makes it interesting that if this is written after he has had a pretty significant sinful event in his life, there could be this sense of guilt that still kind of lingers over David when he writes this. Feeling like, how long will you hide your face from me? The reality is, is that God has not left David, even in his darkest moments. God does not turn his back on him. God does not forsake him. But when sin is present in our lives, it can make it feel like God is far away. Oftentimes, if you feel like you have had some distance created between you and the Lord, it's often because of sin in your life that is continual and you have not repented of it or acknowledged it. You've kind of just let it roll. You've kind of let it accumulate over time. And when that happens, it grows this feeling. Again, it's a feeling. It's not a reality. It's not the truth. But it's a feeling that God is distant from you. Now, obviously, the remedy to that, if that is you, if that is where you're at, then the remedy to that is give that sin to the Lord. Realize that Christ paid for it on the cross. Turn away from it and walk in the newness of life and righteousness through the power of Jesus. That, that's the answer if that's 
what's causing the feeling of God being far away. But there are times that sometimes God does feel far away from us. And I think it's also interesting that when David is lamenting over the things that he misses, it's interesting that he laments that God's face feels hidden from him. He wants to see God. He wants to, he wants to be acknowledged by God, but he himself wants to understand and behold and be close to God. That, that's what he longs for the most. That's what he is after. So the question is, is that what we're after? Again, he, he, his laments are not for a change of situation. It's a change of relationship and feeling near to God. Lastly, another tough reality that I get out of this first part of Psalm 13. There may be times where others will succeed more than you. Now, that, that's not always easy to swallow. That's not always easy to take. Sometimes it's not that bad of a thing. If it's a friend, it's okay if they're succeeding more than you. But there are going to be times when your life is not going well and the life of others is going well. And you will wish that your life was better. David says it this way. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In David's world, people who are against the Lord who are not living righteously, they continue to win and David continues to lose. And this is difficult to deal with. This is the whole thing where we all say, it's unfair. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, the super, I would say like Jesus jukey type of answer is, well, there is no good person. There was one and he actually took the most unfair punishment possible, that being Jesus. Okay? If you don't get that, we can talk about that more later and in depth. You can understand why there is no good person. It's because of sin. We can go into detail later. But the reality is that there are going to be times where others are going to succeed more than you. And that could frustrate you. That could make you exhausted. That could make you question what in the world is going on. God, have you forgotten me? And really, if you look at the book of Psalms, there are so many times that the book of Psalms is talking about the unjust of the land and how they continue to prosper. And there is questions about why is that happening? How is that happening? And the psalmist always comes back to you, whether it's David or one of the other men who wrote the psalms, they always come back to realizing that in time, God will handle that injustice. But there are going to be times when the tough reality of life hits and other people are succeeding more than you. And that's not always easy to accept. David's been there. and He's lamenting over that the same way that some of us might. All right, so let's go on to verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. I think there's something really important here that David is doing. He is seeking the Lord in prayer, and that's where he's going to get God's presence, right? He, he said earlier, I, I, how long will you hide your face from me? So he longs to be in the presence of God. How does he get there? He goes there by asking the God, his God in prayer. He goes to prayer, and that's where he gets the presence of God. That's why in verse 3 it says, consider and answer me. That means he's talking to God. He's acknowledging that he is, he is giving a prayer. He is 
offering himself up to God, and that is what he is doing. He doesn't want to see the, the sleep of death. He doesn't want his enemy to prevail over him. He doesn't want his foes to rejoice because he is shaken. He's recognizing his frailty. And I think this is so important for us because that's what prayer really is. Prayer is your recognition of your lack of the stuff. You are frail, you are weak, you are in need, and so where do you go? To God. Again, not just to fix the situation, but to get more of his presence. That's what David's after, is, is getting more of God's presence. Romans 5, 2, and 5. I, I connected these two verses because the whole paragraph is great, but I, I think these two verses really thread together really well. Listen to what it says in Romans 5, verse 2. Through him, through Jesus, okay? So this is now what we get as New Testament believers. We get the experience of Christ. Through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, so number one, what he's saying in, that, in Romans 5 is that you can go to God's presence through Christ. Christ has made it possible that through his death, burial, and resurrection, you can be in the presence of God in prayer. You've obtained access to God through faith in Christ. This grace that he offered to you allows you to stand in that presence. Hebrews would say it this way. You can come boldly before the throne of grace because of Christ. And you rejoice in hope because of the glory of God. Connecting that, verse 5, it says that same hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is something that the, the, the point of not being put to shame is so important. Because there's another thing that you'll notice in Psalms. So Psalms talks a lot about this, about that the unjust or the unjust continue to win. Why does that happen? Here's the other thing, that those who follow the Lord will not be put to shame. This is such an encouragement. This is such good news for us that if you continue to give your life to Christ, you may think that ultimately you will not win. But the psalmist promises that no matter what happens, if you follow the Lord and if you fear him, and you place him as the, the number one thing in your life, and you humble yourself before the Lord, you will not be put to shame. I think that is such a great encouragement because so many of us are afraid of being shamed. We're afraid of looking dumb. We're afraid of looking silly. We're afraid of being made fun of. That, that puts our, our, our pride, that puts our, our ego, that puts our character on display, and then it gets torn down. And we don't like the idea of being torn down. But the idea that God says, if you follow me and you fear me, you will not be put to shame. How does that happen? How does, how does it work that, that we would not be put to shame if we have this hope in us and if we go to God in prayer? I think the big thing that, you, that we're missing or we, we often miss is the person and the greatness of Christ. When you're in his presence, listen, nobody will walk up to Jesus one day when they see him face to face for the first time and go, wow, that's it? That's all you got? And, and so, so number one, when, they are to, when people are totally floored by the person of Jesus and his greatness his glory, not to mention his power, because he is God. 
when they are floored by that thing that they see in front of them, that God that they, they finally see face to face, no matter who you're talking about, and you can take the most popular, most powerful person in the world, they will all fall flat on their face because no matter how arrogant they are in this life, they will be humbled in the presence of the Most High God. But when they see him, and then they see the next thing he does, that he then reaches over to those who are his and says, they're with me. Like that right there. If, if he's going to put his arm around you and say, he is mine, she is mine, you're not going to be ashamed in that moment. Everyone else is going to be looking at you like, man, I wish I was that person. There will be no shame in the, in the moment when the God of the universe puts his arm around you and says, they are with me. And that's how the psalmist can say this. And so we need to seek God's presence because in it we will not be put to shame. I think the other thing that you see in these two verses before you get to the ending when all of a sudden it's like it's totally flipped is that he is going from a spot where he feels like he's going to die, a place of death, to a place where he is moving towards life. And, and this is what I just I wrote down as a note. I like to give you guys simple truths. The simple truth of, of, of the matter is this. The Christian life is a movement from death to life. That, that's just a simple truth. That you can just, just know that if you're going to walk with Jesus, a lot of it is going to be death to life. And that's good, right? Like you were once dead in your sin and in your transgression. Then Jesus saved you and moved you into a newness of life. You were once apart from God. Now you are with him. Here's another way of thinking of it. You were once in charge of your own life, which you thought was life, but it's actually a trap and it's actually death. When you follow Christ, you are crucified and he is now in charge, which is actually life in itself. That's why Galatians and all the other passages in the New Testament talk about putting to death of the self, or being crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. That is the movement from death to life. Psalm 13 is a movement from death to life. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face? My enemy is exalted over me. I, how long? I, I might sleep the sleep of death. My enemy may prevail over me. But then it's a movement into life when you get to verse 5. But... I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the amazing movement from death to life that, that only Jesus offers. You have to realize, though, that there is something really interesting here. David's situation does not change in the course of this psalm. You get no indication that all of a sudden all the stuff that was happening in David's life has totally been fixed instantly. You don't get that sense. Things are still difficult. Life is still exhausting. Things are not going well and his enemies may be succeeding. And yet he says, but I trust in your steadfast love and my heart will rejoice in your salvation. So he rejoices even though things have not changed yet. How does that happen? For him, he looks back on the steadfast love of what God has done for him and for the people of Israel. If you think through it, there's a lot of amazing things that the people of Israel talk about the steadfast love of God. 
mainly the exodus out of Egypt, right? Splitting of the Red Sea, defeating the Egyptians and Pharaoh. I mean, th- those events are marked. There are other big moments in their lives, in their history as a people, where God has done something miraculous to give them something. But, but here's what's so different for David versus us. I mean, even David, I mean, he had moments where God did amazing things through him, right? David and Goliath, you know? There's a lot of amazing things, being anointed as the next king as a young boy. I mean, there's a lot of amazing moments. But, but for David, so much of what he has been told is stories of the past and how God did something for the people in the past. You know what advantage you and I have that is so much greater than David's? You can experience God right now. Like, like you can talk about things of the past, and it's okay to do that, and it's good to think through the miraculous things that God has done for not just the people of the Bible, but maybe in your own family. Like, you may have a testimony from a family member or from a friend that may say, man, God did something, he showed up in my life and did amazing things. But do you realize that you also personally can experience God Because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in you, you can actually experience him and experience that steadfast love in your own life. Your own story can be miraculously rewritten. Now, I don't don't mean miraculously like all of a sudden like the Red Sea of your life parts. But, But what I mean by miraculous is that if you were sinful and God is changing your desires to be more like Jesus, that's miraculous. Because that doesn't happen on its own. That doesn't just happen because you decided to be a good person one day. That happens because the God of the universe entered into your life and has saved your soul. That's That's a miracle. You get to experience that. The newness of life. When all of a sudden God rewrites the laws in your heart and your desires go with those laws now. That, that seems crazy when you all of a sudden don't desire to do the things you used to like to do, that we're against God. That's a miracle. That is an experience of seeing God in you, working out a relationship with you, changing you. This is something that David, he had some experience in this, but guys, this is prior to Jesus' arrival, prior to the Holy Spirit being sent. And what an amazing gift you and I have that we get to experience God in that way. A couple of things that I'm going to close with because I just think that this, this text lends you to apply a couple things. Or what do you do from here? It, 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 for David, he reflected on this steadfast love of God. And it caused two things to do for him to do. Took two actions. Number one, it caused him to have joy. He says right here, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I say this all the time. If you don't read the Bible enough, specifically, not just random pages, but specifically if you don't read the stuff that talks about how Jesus has saved you, like, just go to Paul's letters. If you need help, like, I'll just give you a hint. Like, go read a lot of Romans, okay? Read, like, Romans 8. We did that at D now for a reason. You can go read other Pauline letters like Philippians. You can go read uh, things in Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians. If you just need help, read some of these letters because what you're going to read, what you're going to find is that these are gospel-centered verses. These tell you what Jesus has done to save you. And if you don't read those enough, I feel like sometimes we fall out of love and we fall out of 
being just in awe of what God has done for us. You lose sight of the miraculous things that Jesus has done in your life to save you. Amazing things. But the more you reflect on those, the more that you highlight those verses and maybe even commit them to memory, the more that you will find you have joy and you'll rejoice because you will see what Christ has done for you. Let me just go read Ephesians chapter one for a bit. See all the in Christ moments that you have, what you have as a believer in Jesus. If you are one of his, what you have causes joy and it also causes worship. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Don't get lost on this, that the singing to the Lord is is an act of worship, but worship is not just singing songs. We know that. We we talk about that enough, but if, if you haven't heard that enough from us, it is not just singing in a church building. You worship by the way that you live each and every day. Worship happens as you go, as you give yourself to the Lord, as you give yourself to Christ, as you live as a person who represents him. That is an act of worship. It is essentially saying, I'm giving you whatever I have, and I'm committing it to the Lord. You can worship as you eat. You can worship as you rest. You can worship as you play. You can worship in all of those ways. Worship is just acknowledging that God is in charge, and I am giving it all to him. So this is what God's love does. It makes you do that. But I love this verse, and I want to end with this. He says at the end, I sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And I love that word, that he, he has dealt bountifully with me. It's more than I can ever imagine, more than I could comprehend. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around what Jesus has done for me sometimes. Yeah, I get it. He, he saved my soul from sin. But, but when you read things like Philippians chapter 2 and you realize that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, took on flesh, humbled himself, and then died for me, it just doesn't compute. Why would you do that for me when I could offer you nothing in return? Because to me, I do nice things for people, but a lot of times I do them because I know that they might give me something in return. And if we're honest, a lot of us do that too. But the idea that he, could, he knew he could get nothing from me, that I wouldn't choose him unless he came in and rescued my heart, amazes me. He's dealt bountifully with me. David says it that way, and I feel like you and I need to understand he's given you so much more than you could even imagine. To comprehend the height, the depth, the width of God's love for you. Paul prays that. He, he wants his people to understand that. And the reason he prays that is because it is so just amazing to realize how much God loves you. Romans 8.32 says it this way, and one with this. He, God, who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The idea that he would not spare his own son for you. Like, he spared Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac was this close to being sacrificed, but God spared him, provided the ram. Jesus was God's son, put on an an altar of sacrifice, essentially ready to go. And he could have, at any moment, said, nope, done.
but he knew that it had to be completed in order to save us. Because without Jesus' death on the cross, we have no chance. We can't get to heaven. We can't be in the presence of God. We can't behold his face. And so therefore, he didn't hold back. He gave him up for us all. Maybe you need, you need help fathoming or, or understanding or comprehending God's love for you. I've shared this little trick with you before, but maybe it's a good reminder. Take a verse like Romans 8.32 that's on the screen right now. And instead of thinking of the big general we's and all's and us, put your name in that verse. For example, for myself, I could read it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me, for Kyle. How will he not also with him graciously give Kyle all things? Maybe, maybe you, need to, you need to personalize this verse. Maybe you need to insert yourself into it so that you can read it and not just think this applies to a broad scope of people, but it applies to you. If you are in Christ. Maybe that will help you understand that he did not spare his own son for you. Because he loved you. With an unending love. With a steadfast love. That cannot be comprehended. The more you think about that. The more you recognize what God has done for you. I hope it causes you to rejoice. I hope it causes you to have worship. I hope it causes you to move from death to life. Because that's how David got there. He went from how long, O oh Lord, to realizing God's love for him is something he can't comprehend. And yeah, life is difficult and it's exhausting, but God is still in control, still loves him, and he trusts that. And it moved him from death to life. The same thing can happen for you. If you're stuck in death, God's love can move you to life. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for these students. Uh, I'm thankful for our times together, and it's such an encouragement to worship with them and alongside of them. God, I just pray for an encouragement for them this, this summer, but even just specifically just tonight. Lord, that they, they are here, not by an accident, but they are here because your word um, needs to go forward, and you chose for tonight this word to go into their hearts. God, I pray it would sink deep, it would remind them, even if they are the people who feel like they are right now at verses 1 and 2 of this process, where they are questioning, how long will it be? They keep asking you because they're exhausted or frustrated. And I pray that even if it is just a step in the direction, that you would begin to drag them closer to life. They would experience you, that they would understand the love that you have for them that has been shown to them in Christ. So God, for the glorious things that you have done in his name. We thank you, we worship you, we rejoice because we have a savior who has saved us from things that we cannot save ourselves from. And even though we didn't deserve it, you died for us. So God, we thank you so much for your son Christ and it is in his beautiful name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you want to run out and play floor hockey right away, you can. Or you can hang out first. Alex has already opened them up. There are ice cream sandwiches. There's also water if you're thirsty. Grab some treats. And then activity center is where you go if you want to start getting the floor hockey going.